Hello and welcome to Real World HR, the podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and business, telling the stories that we've learned from and explaining the processes which have supported the solutions. This episode features Alison Dunn, a committed social justice advocate who strives to empower communities in the creation of fairer society for all. She's been the Chief Executive Officer of Citizens Advice Gateshead since 2012. She leads the independent charity to support hundreds of thousands of people in the North East and maximise household income, resulting in approximately 84 million of financial gains over a 10-year period. Under her leadership, the charity has undergone significant growth, increasing turnover from 1.4 million to 5.8 million, growing a workforce of more than 220 staff members and supporting around 70 volunteers each year. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? Thank you very much, Alison, for coming in today. We are going to go through and talk about the cost of living crisis, obviously with it being such a, a big area. But do you want to give me a little bit of intro about kind of who you are and the role that you play within society? Obviously, you've made a, a significant difference, but the role that you play within society. Yeah, so I'm the Chief Exec of Citizens Advice Gateshead, as you've said, which is an organisation that supports people to make sure that they understand their rights and responsibilities. And that's really important, particularly in the current economic climate where so many of people's rights and responsibilities are being eroded. We've had significant changes to welfare reform. We've had austerity, all of these things things are prolonged attack on people's standard of living. I'm also an executive director of Society Matters, which is a subsidiary of the charity. And that's about having good quality conversations with the businesses so that they understand the role that they play in society. In addition to that, I have a role in local government where I'm responsible for voluntary community sector development, helping the sector to be as effective and as impactful as it can be. And I'm the chair of VON, which is the Voluntary Organisations Network Northeast, which is a regional organisation around infrastructure, again, making sure that the policies and practices that affect the voluntary sector are fit for purpose and that the voluntary sector can once again be as impactful and as useful as it can be to society. My work. <laughs> you do an awful lot, don't you? But I can see from your talk on that, obviously, all of that interlinks together, isn't it? So I'm assuming from your own personal point of view, there's a real drive and passion for what it is that you do and put out there as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, social justice runs through my entire career, actually. And when I say career, I mean literally going back to infant school, where I can remember being an advocate for justice in the school playground. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just something that I was born with, this real sort of passion for equality, for fairness, for doing the right thing, even before I understood what those words meant. And as a young person, although I left school with no qualifications, I found myself in a solicitor's office where, actually, for the first time, I realised that that was a possible career for me and very quickly I went on to put right the mistakes of my secondary school education which had left me with no GCSEs. I enrolled in night school, did open learning and eventually qualified as a solicitor and then somehow ended up in citizens advice <laughs> um, almost by mistake which is not probably very inspiring but that is the truth but of that's it. that's how it happened yeah. yeah. So when you were a solicitor was that did you have that social justice side of things? Was it a particular area that you were practicing that kind of give you more insight into that area? So I worked in a high street practice so I was very very fortunate to be 
exposed to lots of different subjects. You never know what's going to come through that door when you're in a high street practice as opposed to a city centre practice where they tend to be much more specialist areas. So I got to see housing issues. I did a bit of crime, did a bit of probate, did a bit of conveyancing. So a whole gambit of stuff. I think the real difference for me, what really sort of awoken my senses to the true issues of inequality was when I came to Citizens Advice. Because as a lawyer, all through your training and all through your work, people don't really talk to you about the social issues that sit behind the presenting issue. So when I was processing people through the legal system, for example, for shoplifting, I wasn't really thinking about what might have driven somebody to steal a loaf of bread. Yeah. When I was thinking about somebody who had been the perpetrator of domestic violence, I wasn't necessarily thinking about the adverse childhood experiences that might have led them to do that crime. That's not something which is a big topic of conversation when you're in legal practice, but obviously it's very, very different in the Citizens Advice Service. So for the first time I was exposed to the real sort of the deprivation, the adverse experiences that people have had and had a real understanding, an epiphany really, which completely changed the trajectory of my career. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting when you talk about, you know, people present, don't they, and in that situation you've said someone stole the loaf of bread or domestic violence, and you're just dealing with that situation how it is at the time. So for you to then think about that further, about taking those steps back to understand actually where does that all start from becomes a massive situation that we come across all the time within businesses because actually you expect people to present to be at work and turn up and to be on their own game but actually there's so many other things that go around with people's lives whether it's about the cost of living whether it's about health whether it's about people's circumstances so it is sometimes taking that step back to be able to take a step forward really isn't it with with more knowledge and experience to make different decisions. I mean the truth is Louise it changed me as a person it changed me politically It changed my views of the world. It put strain on some of my friendships and previous sort of relationships with colleagues because I became an entirely different person. I saw the world very, very differently from that point onwards. But there's no going back. Once the scales have been taken from your eyes, there's no going back. And I feel as passionate about this subject today as I did when I was the first day in the job. Yeah, I was going to say it's the passion that comes across, isn't it? It's the passion and the driver to enable you to be able to, in essence, do everything that you're doing now and provide all of the support that you do into society and, and make a difference, I think, is ultimately what you're doing. You probably don't feel as though you make a difference every day, but you're ultimately making a difference in many different areas as well. Yeah, it is hard because, you know, we've had an onslaught, haven't we, of challenges. We've had welfare reform, we've had austerity, we've had the consequences of Brexit, which are still unfolding. We've had a global pandemic, we've had a cost of living crisis. And sometimes I do put my head in my hands and think, my goodness me, what difference are we actually making? But then when you hear that you know over 10 years we've generated 84 million of financial gains which is real money that goes into people's pockets if you think about the number of people who have avoided eviction or homelessness as a result of our work if you think about the number of people who have been able to manage their debts if the alleviation of mental health it is massive and you just have to remind yourself that these things are happening and that for individuals on a one-to-one basis you are making a big difference 
What frustrates me is that the societal issues that we can't have the impact on the broader societal issues that I would like to have. And that's one of the reasons why we have pushed on with Society Matters, really, which is a vehicle to help us have better quality conversations with business and with the structures of government. Yeah, because I suppose in essence you've got the evidence and the information from this as advice to be able to have those different conversations to what other people can have, isn't it? Because you're dealing with the day-to-day situations that people are dealing with. Citizens Advice obviously comes across as a place that people can go to for that advice. Do you get a whole range of people coming to you, kind of a full range of different ideas or different problems or different things? And how does that work from your point of view, I suppose, is what I'm asking? Yeah, so we're a universal service and that means that anybody can come to us regardless of their means. So you can be very well off and you can come to us or you can be really struggling and come to us. You can be from any sort of background, any age, any demographic. So, you know, you will always be received positively in our service. We are an impartial service, so we hold our own opinions at the door when you come in and we are open and available to everybody. Interestingly, more and more people now who come to us are actually in paid work. That hasn't always been the case. Mm -hmm. But as a result of the pandemic and the cost of living crisis, more than 50% of everyone who uses our service is a paid employee now, which is a big change for us. And people are coming to us with the sorts of things that you would expect. You know, they're falling out of their fixed rates and all of a sudden have significant increases in their mortgages. Debt that was once affordable to them is no longer affordable to them. Childcare costs, all of the sorts of things that you would expect. Caring responsibilities, because as you've just alluded to, you know, with the best will in the world, you come into work to do a good job, but you can't always shake off your life responsibilities. The people that work in businesses, they are carers, they do have children, they do have aging parents they do have health conditions they are experiencing financial hardship at the moment yeah and so the people that they're speaking to I'm assuming on the phone or when they meet them face to face they are providing them some advice to be able to give them different options and different things that they can enable them to do which obviously comes free from that service point of view so have you seen a significant rise obviously cost of living is really what we want to talk about today so have you seen a, a significant rise of people coming to the citizens advice about living costs you know kind of in general that is that is that significantly more than what it has been previously what's what's kind of the differential with that it, it's significantly more so to give you a real example of that if we think about fuel poverty the ability of people to be able to heat their homes we've seen more people in the last year than we've seen in the entire 10-year period prior to that about that issue right but it's not just heat actually now more and more often we're also hearing about people not being able to light their homes so previously we've thought about fuel poverty as being the ability to turn the heating on but it's actually much worse than that now we're now starting to hear that people can't even switch their lights on we work very very closely with a number of food bank partners and more And more frequently now, they're asked for packs of food that don't involve cooking, so kettle packs, rather than stuff that needs to be, you know, cooked on a hob or in an oven. So people are really, really feeling the pinch. And it's it's not just people that you would stereotypically think. These are people who are in work. Yeah. Um, As I've already said, more than 50% of everyone who comes in to see us is a paid employee. But actually, 67% of all children who live in poverty in this country live within an employed family. Which is such a sad statistic, isn't it? Yeah. When you when you think of it in that context that, you know, they they haven't all got access to the heating and the lighting and and I think you can you know, as somebody who 
you can avoid it out of your mindset, can't you? You know, when you're not dealing with that on a day-to-day basis. And I think they're very, very hard-hitting numbers from that point of view. So how would you go around to provide and support to people in that type of way? So we have a number of channels that people can get in touch with us. Obviously, you can drop in Monday to Friday and also on a Saturday and Sunday now, actually. We've just launched a seven-day service. So in Gateshead, which is where I am, you can visit us on a Saturday as well between 10 and 4 and on a Sunday between 10 and 2. But you can drop in, you can telephone us, you can email us, you can visit our website where you'll find a web form. But we also have a number of outlets across our borough. So we're present in about 20 venues, six of which are also Monday to Friday, nine to five venues. Mm -hmm. So the goal really is to make sure that people can come to us however they want to but also that they can shift channels as they need to. So if you drop in and, you know, the next time you want to talk to us, you need a phone call, that's absolutely fine. So it's really driven by the customer and how the customer wants to receive the service. Yeah. So do you want to talk about, I suppose, in essence, how we got to where we are with regard to the cost of living? I know that's a that's a huge question, but I don't mean it to be as big, but, uh, you know, for this, for this locality, do you want to kind of talk about, you know, as you're saying, there's people that are employed, that are working, and they're potentially earning minimum wage or very much around that area, but they just can't afford to do all the things that you've just said can they can't afford to run the homes or you know whether they're you know whether they've got mortgages or whether they're just renting properties but how have we got to where we get to isn't it well I think it probably needs a cleverer person than me to answer that question but I can certainly tell you you know what we're seeing is that interest rates are increasing that's making it harder for people to service their debt harder for businesses to service their debt so businesses are really struggling consumables are more expensive than they've ever been energy costs more expensive than they've ever been food costs are escalating interest rates are escalating but also the services that people are used to receiving you know local government has lost 40 percent of its spend over the last sort of 10 years so we're paying more we're being taxed more and yet often where it feels as if we're receiving less service. So there's a, there's a whole range of things that have just coalesced to make things feel really, really tough for people. Wages have not been keeping up with inflation. That's another challenge, you know, that businesses are fighting with every day, yeah. but it's a real challenge for the people within them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I was thinking about. You know, you, you kind of sometimes go back to the beginning to say, well, OK, what is it that you're earning? But actually when the businesses are under so much pressure themselves... It's not a case that they don't necessarily want to give the additional money, is it? It's just a case that sometimes they can't afford to because they're in their own difficult financial situation as well. And I can bring that to life for you. So, you know, we're a real living wage employer. It's something that we're really proud of. But the recent announcement about the increase of the real living wage is going to increase our wage bill by £350,000 a year. Which is it, it's a it's phenomenal amount of money to yeah. do, isn't it? And for all you need, to, you know, you've already committed to doing that and you need to do it. It's, it's huge, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, now, you know, yeah. we absolutely believe that our people are worth every penny of that. And I wish that I could pay them more. I really, really do. And it's not about us stepping away from that commitment. But mm-hmm. the reality is... For a charity, £350,000 a year is a lot of money. Now, I'm not in manufacturing, for example. I can't just go and make more widgets and sell more stuff. That's just not the model that charity operates. So that presents us with some very real challenges. Mm -hmm. Because it comes down to the fact that it's like a service delivery that you're doing, isn't it? As you say, you can't make more to earn more, isn't it? Yeah. It is depend upon what what comes through for you from that point of view yeah and we mustn't forget that although our service is free to the end user someone is paying for it yeah mm-hmm. so you know we have funders some of which are government departments some of which are grants trusts foundations and you know 
it's well documented that government is not in a good place financially at the moment. So when we give an inflationary rise to our staff, we can't necessarily pass that on to the funder. Yeah. What do you think from a business point of view, we touched on there, that obviously some businesses are, are very much struggling to be able to afford to keep their, keep their doors open and keep the people employed. What do you think businesses could do to support people who are going through that, that living wage crisis at the moment? Well, I mean, one of the first things that they could do is reach out to Society Matters. I've already described that we set this vehicle up specifically to talk to businesses about how they can have these really challenging conversations about their role around things like in-work poverty, because there are things that can be done which don't necessarily cost a lot of money, which could make a big difference. So simple things like we've been working with a number of employers who've wanted to give a cost of living one-off payment to their staff, say a £500 bonus. But actually, if you've got staff members who are on un- in receipt of top-up benefits like universal credit, that can have devastating consequences for them mm. and send them into a spiral of financial insecurity. So working with that business to understand how to do that is often, you know, we can help with that. Other things like when you make your Christmas pay, a lot of employers will bring that forward. And that's helpful to a lot of people, but it's not helpful to people who are on universal credit. Some of the things that we've done in our own business, we've introduced a four-day working week, which obviously helps people with travel costs because they're travelling less into the office. We support people to work from home, which is also about travel costs, but also helps with some of their caring responsibilities as well. We offer a huge amount of flexibility so that people can get the job of sorting their family affairs out as well. But we also provide a number of options for breakfast in the business. So when people come in, they can have toast, they can have cereal, they can have fruit, they can have free tea and coffee. So we've been thinking also about travel schemes. So we use the salary sacrifice scheme to help people get travel passes. So there's a, there's a lot that people can do. But what's really important and one of the strands of work that Society Matters is doing is working with employers to understand what their workforce needs are. Because you can make all sorts of assumptions about what your workforce needs, but unless you ask them and have a very targeted conversation with them, you might actually be working on the wrong things. Yeah, and I think that's really important because obviously, as you said, there's a lot of people that are just turn up to work and they're, they're doing what they need to do. However, they've got all sorts that goes on in the background and the fact that they can't afford to live or keep their family clothed and fed uh, from that point of view. So so is that a case that businesses can get in touch with Society Matters to be able to discuss uh, kind of from a workforce needs point of view? Certainly they can. And at the moment, we're funded through the North of Tyne Combined Authority, actually. So if a business happens to be in that area, we can provide this service free of charge at the moment. Right, OK. For anyone who's not in the North of Tyne Combined Authority area, then the, that would be a fee-paying service. But again, you know, the impact of doing this piece of work is, is significant. And I think that people would find it to be value for money yeah i think it would be i'm just thinking some of our businesses they do go above and beyond to try and help people and one of our businesses do a free lunch for everybody which they introduced kind of on the back end of covid but realizing that people were struggling with what they were earning not that they weren't earning you know kind of they weren't earning uh, too badly but you know they thought actually it makes a difference and it does every day they come in everybody's got the opportunity there's a cafe there that people can choose what they want and i kind of i think that's a real good positive thing if a business can afford to be able to do that then i think that's a real positive thing because that's a significant saving for people but also the opportunity that they know they've been fed 
during the day and they may make their own decisions about what happens on an evening with regard to feeding the family. So those type of things do make a difference when you said about the breakfast side of things. That that does help people, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we mustn't assume because people are reasonably well paid that they're managing OK. I was talking yeah. to somebody recently who's dropped out of a fixed rate mortgage and their mortgage is going up £600 a month. The only option available to them, despite being a middle income earner is to sell their home now because they simply don't have that amount of disposable income free on paper they look to be very successful very well-paid individuals so Mm -hmm. we are i think facing a middle income crisis over the next 18 months because the work that we've been doing with the north of time combined authority with the employers and society matters has given us a richness of data we've worked with over 14 and a half thousand employees And so this data is telling us that 20% of those workers can't afford their essentials every month. It's telling us that 22% have absolutely nothing left at the end of each month to pay for essentials, which is, you know, really worrying. And 51% have seen their financial situation worsen in the last 12 months. These are big, big numbers. And, And the things that people are really struggling with are buying new clothes and footwear, paying their fuel bills, running their cars... And 16% are actually finding it difficult to feed their families. Yeah, I, I think that's just heartbreaking when you listen to those type of stats. And it's about how does the individual get out of that? You know, if they're, if they're in that situation and then they've had debt previously or something as well and they're carrying some debt, it's it's how people get out of that situation. And as you say, the mortgages, you know, it's so, so difficult, which is then makes it so much more difficult to try and do something and take a little bit extra money out of the house. And we can afford to pay for it and they wouldn't give us anything yeah. because obviously they're safeguard and so if, yeah. if we're in a situation where we could afford to take that money and they wouldn't give it yeah. to someone who can't afford to take the money you know I think that becomes even more difficult for people because roads closed don't they there's, there's no other place for people to be able to go yeah and one of the other things that we found from this survey data is that people have exhausted their savings because you know there was a global pandemic before yeah. the cost of living crisis mm-hmm. and people had all sorts of additional expenses and needs as a result of that they've exhausted their savings but also they've exhausted the immediate sources of borrowing that's available to them so their credit cards are maxed they've borrowed from friends and family and there's nowhere for them to go so it, it is a real a real challenge and when we think about productivity you know in the northeast we're not a particularly productive population in terms of gdp but the reality is that productivity is about more than just getting people to do more. It's about making sure that they are healthy, that they are well, that they are turning up to work, that when they're there, they're focused, that they've got the right equipment to do the job. And as employers, it's up to us to make sure that all the pieces of the jigsaw come together so that people can be both healthy, well, but also productive, because ultimately that's what we need. Yeah, and it is about the employee and the employer having that good communication relationship, isn't it? Because actually the employee needs to be able to come forward to be able to speak to someone about concerns that they've got of their own personal nature to enable them to be the best version of them when they come to work, isn't it? To be able to you know, genuinely do what needs to be required of their day-to-day role or whether it's training or how they impact upon other people. And we've been in really sad situations where people have had, you know, uh, uh, his wife was having a mental breakdown, he was the only earner, one child had been diagnosed with autism, the other one was getting diagnosed with ADHD. He'd lost it in the workplace one day and kind of, you know, being very, very verbal towards but But everybody in that shop floor area would just kind of said, well, that's completely out of order. Well, yes, it was. However, there was all of these other things that go on in the background that actually, you know, when he turns up, he was just trying to keep himself together just to give him something to focus on. So it's exactly the same type of situation that we're talking about there. 
And I think the point where you were touching on around universal credit, I think it's just important from a business point of view that they understand that actually if you do change somebody's salary on a monthly basis, whether they're working overtime or whether they are given an extra bonus, that does impact upon the universal credit, which can then take several months to, to realign, can't it? And actually it means that the individual doesn't get the benefit of the money, actually, because yeah. ultimately it go, it ends up back in the coffers of the DWP, which wasn't the intent. Yeah. So it's not that these things can't be done, but they need to be done in a way which you know causes the least amount of harm to people. Yeah. And there's a knack to that which we can help with. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's ensuring that people have the most benefits. And I think even just a couple of points you made there around the travel to and from work, you know, the cost of the travel is expensive, isn't it? If people are having to put a certain amount of money in each month into their car by introducing things like home working and getting that set up properly for people to be able to work from home, that can really make a difference to people. So as we're talking about the impact that we can make from potentially working from home or limiting people's travel in so they can make a difference on the cost of what it is that they're spending, Then when we look at businesses who are looking at recruiting new people in, what type of things could be offered? You know, what should employers potentially do to bring people in to be able to have those interviews? Have you got kind of suggestions around what businesses could do that could make a difference to potential employees? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think that there is a real shortage of labour at the moment, particularly at the lower end of the market in terms of salary. So just shuffling people around all of the time isn't necessarily the most helpful because, you know, in order to be productive and have good services, we need people to stay for a period of time. So if we're looking maybe to attract people who've been out of work for a little while, there's a few things that we need to think about when we're inviting them into our business to apply for a job. The first is that they have been out of work for a long time and you maybe need to adjust your expectations in terms of you know what you can expect from them in an interview situation and make that as easy as possible for them. But also how they present. So, you know, we have had situations where people have come to us for advice on how to approach an interview because they may not be able to afford to turn up looking the way that you would expect them to look. Their suit may be ill-fitting, for example, because they've not been eating as well as they might have done. Or the opposite, it may be a bit tighter than you would have expected because, you know, again things have not worked out the way that they might have anticipated. So just being a bit kinder and sort of changing your expectations about what you can expect, but also realise that for some people, even hot water at the moment is a luxury. So people may not be as well presented as you would be used to receiving. Think about the time and the cost it takes for people to get to that interview. You know, a bus fare from the furthest outskirts of the borough in which I operate into the town centre is almost £7. Right, Okay. If you're in receipt of benefits, that's a significant commitment from the individual. Mm -hmm. They may actually have walked, so they may arrive all hot and sweaty and a little bit out of breath and just a little bit, you know, need time to settle into the interview. So think about these sorts of things and also think about the fact that you might need to provide a little bit of support to somebody who gets into a job because when someone's been out of work for a long time, getting a job is the start of a whole different set of problems because for the first time, they're paying rent, they're paying council tax, they're paying water rates. They've suddenly got money and friends and family are buzzing around and it feels really good and they may be making decisions that cause them problems to have down the line. So helping people to adjust into this new life that is work is really important as well. Making sure that they are able to access any top-up benefits that they might need to make sure that these problems don't occur. 
and just give them a little bit of space to be able to adjust, I think, is, is a really important time. Now, that's not to say that that goes on indefinitely, of course, not as a business. You have to have people delivering what they need to deliver. But just be mindful that if people have been out of work for a long time, there will be a period of adjustment required from you and from them. Yeah. I think there's many good points that you've just made in there. We had a company a few years ago. The recruitment technique was that they were they were going to the local job centres. They were bringing people in, people who've been long term unemployed, and they went through a whole. They were growing the business at the time, so they were taking you know a significant number of people on. But with that came obviously different areas of concern. But very importantly, the communication element of it was open between you know what are your concerns and. And people did fall down along the way and the company picked them up and they kind of dusted them off and looked after them. And sometimes it was a disciplinary for the actions that they'd taken, but actually they really tried to nurture the people that were there because they had fantastic skills and they had the ability to be able to do the roles. They just needed some help with that adjustment from being unemployed to employed. And that also came around with things such as having flexibility in their lives, you know, to be able to help out with childcare or dependent care, whatever that might have looked like at the time. Um, I mean, we did get in situations where people then started drinking at work, you know, in kind of on Saturday mornings. And But again, once that was kind of brought to light and they, they were told what they could and couldn't do, they understood and then, you know, did what they needed to. So it is just a, an element of support and an understanding business to be able to enable that to happen. And if you get it right, what you get are really committed and loyal staff that will Without stay doubt. with you for a long time and will probably, you know, ultimately be some of your most committed and best employees. Certainly yeah. in our business, that's what we've experienced, you know, when we taken people who've been unemployed for a long time or who've just been out of work because they've been caring or you know there's been something else going on when we get that right they are extremely committed very loyal and long-serving yeah and I would completely agree with that that particular business that I'm thinking about they had so many successes where that was exactly it and the and the commitment comes I think when you buy into people and without going down the road too much some of our business of you know, when people have had severe mental health issues, whether from a whole different range of things, but when the business has provided that support to people, external counselling services, etc., that's made such a significant impact as well. And again, that's something that people could not afford to go and do themselves, but it's made an impact and actually the loyalty that comes back because they know the business was, you know, 100% behind them to be able to support what they were doing has been significant to them. The loyalty and the commitment is is unreal when you when you get that right, isn't it? Yeah, and I've seen it in my own business. Yeah. You know, we have just, for the second year, been awarded a great place to work. Which is huge. Yeah, and, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. No. It happens through a lot of work because our vision is a fair society for all with lives well lived, but we want that for our staff and volunteers as well as for the people that we serve. Yeah. So it's really important to us that people do feel supported, but in return you get a huge amount. Yeah, because people want to be there, don't they? Yeah. You know, when it's to be recognised in that type of way, as you say, you've put all of the foundations in place for the business to be recognised in the way that it has been by that. So that's a, a real credit to, to what it is that you're doing in there as well. So you're helping externally, but you're helping in your own business at the same time, isn't it? What would you expect to see in the future in relation to the cost of living crisis and workforces? What impacts that going to have within the workforce? Well, the truth is this isn't going away anytime soon. So if we simply cannot put our eyes down and hope that in six months this is all going to be better. I think that we are on the cusp, actually, of a crisis, a housing crisis in particular. I think over the next six to 12 months, we are going to see a lot of middle-income people in some significant financial difficulty, which will result in repossessions, will result in sales of properties and will result in mental health appearing in the workplace. I don't see this changing anytime soon. Yeah, so it's kind of 
if anything, potentially getting worse than where it is where it is at the moment. And what is overcoming for citizens' advice? Well, for the first time last year, we supported 20,000 local people from Gateshead, which, you know, in a town that has a population of 200,000, that's fairly significant. So we want to continue to grow our capability so that we can help more people than ever before. But also regionally and nationally, we helped another 350,000 through our digital services. So these are massive, massive numbers. numbers, yeah. Yeah. So we want to continue to provide good quality advice. We want to reach as many people as we can. But importantly, what we really want to do is work with business so that we can help them to help the people that they employ. Because actually... Business has such a crucial role to play in solving the problems that we care about. They have such an important role in terms of addressing inequality, in terms of influencing policy, decisions that are made by government, the laws that are made. So understanding how we can work with business, how we can support them to be the best that they can be, how they can embrace the things that we care about around poverty in the workplace, around you know being the best employer that they can be. I think that's probably where we're heading for the next sort of 18 to 24 months. Yeah, so you've kind of got a clear line of impact that you want to make and that's certainly coming from that business view point, isn't it? And I think you're completely right. I'm thinking about many of our different businesses that do pay minimum wage because they need to, but kind of from a, a circumstantial point of view, but actually being able to be provided that advice from the citizens' advice, I think would make a massive difference to them as well. So what would be your biggest piece of advice for business owner or managers that they can realistically implement to help their team on a day-to-day basis within all of the areas that we've been talking around for the? So the first thing I would say is do not assume that you know what people need. It's very easy to think, oh, I've got the solution to this and run off and try and find, you know, provide a solution to a problem that may or may not be there. So you do need to talk to your workforce and find out what is really pressing for them. Now you can do that yourself or you can get in touch with us and we can help you to do that. But having that conversation so that you are really, really clear about what the problem is that you are trying to solve before you go into solution mode is absolutely essential because what we found in our own business and with the many businesses that we are working with is it just ain't always what you think. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes a big impact. So Alison, where can people find out more about you? So you can find me on LinkedIn, but if you want to know about the Citizens Advice Service, we have our own website. But if you're not in the Gateshead area, then you can visit the National Citizens Advice website, put in a postcode and find the nearest Citizens Advice to you. Okay, brilliant. That's really good. So thank you very much for coming along today, Alison. I think it's a real interesting conversation because I think it's the reality of what's happening on a day-to-day basis out there. So I think it's very relevant for business owners to be listening to this information that's there as well. Thank you so much, Louise. I've had a really, really good time talking to you this morning. Thank you very much to our audience for listening to the Real World HR podcast and a big thank you to Alison for joining us today. You can find more information about the things that we've discussed in this episode on our show notes. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes and please do leave us a rating and a review. Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.